Sego, and welcome to Resistance Radio. I'm John Kane, and I am your host. Uh, I gotta say, I was offered by WPFW um, to do a special two-hour show for um, the American Thanksgiving holiday, and I declined. And and I want to explain. I, I I was asked, you know, perhaps to explain a little bit, you know, what. Perhaps my view is, and there's a, there are mixed views about what that holiday is, or what it should represent, or what it does represent, and 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 I got to start by saying that Native people are are not a monolith, and we have different reasons for viewing things in different ways. Um, but having said that, the fact that many Native peoples regard the American Thanksgiving, the fourth Thursday of November as the national day of mourning is 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 not un, is not unreasonable and and it was primarily begun with uh, the Wampanoag who initially back in I think 1970 um, one of their their speakers was invited to speak to commemorate um, Thanksgiving on essentially or or some some occasion that was trying to mark the the 350th anniversary of the landing of the Mayflower or something like that, and uh, and this person's views were not going to be um, uh, very very pleasing to to the crowd, and so they canceled his invitation. And so from then on, uh, this idea that there would be some celebration at at Plymouth. Um, about the landing of the Mayflower and, and 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 the myth associated with Thanksgiving, it was converted uh, first by the Wampanoag and embraced by many other peoples as the National Day of Mourning. And they've got a monument and a, and a marker and all that other stuff to to you know to, to set that you know to to make that statement. Now my issue is, while I think it's it's proper to to put a uh, a different connotation on this holiday that Americans celebrate. Um, I'm not sure that mourning is the way that uh, I would characterize my feelings about the day. Um, I'm look. The name of the show is Resist- Resistance Radio. I'm all about standing up and fighting back, not just grieving. And I'm not suggesting that that when this day was named this national day of mourning that it was really about really about grief or sorrow it was really about trying to correct the myth of thanksgiving and and there's and there's many of them <laughs> and and i'm not even sure that i necessarily fully you know embrace you know the myth about you know so many of warriors showing up um you know, while the pilgrims were were preparing to to eat, I guess, or whatever the myth is, um, and at first the warriors showed up because they were concerned because they heard um, their muskets firing and they weren't sure if there was an attack plan. So, and, and so this is one of the stories that gets told, you know. And of course, it, it ties in Squanto and you know, and 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 again, there's there are mixed accounts of all of this stuff. But the, the fact of the matter is, there there was no. Um, shared celebration between pilgrims, happy little pilgrims and happy little Indians, um, and you know, some celebration of the first Thanksgiving. None of that, it didn't happen. It didn't happen. In fact, 
uh, as the the Pilgrims would assert themselves more, as not only through Plymouth Colony, but take uh, take more lands, and the tensions would grow between the Wampanoag and the um, and the British settlers. The, the, this um, it, it would ultimately re uh, result in in slaughters and and genocide committed by the British against the the Wampanoag. And uh, one of the first declared days of Thanksgiving was a a day to celebrate the massacre of, uh, uh, and I'm not sure if it's the, the Wampanoag or the Pequots, but it was about celebrating a, a massacre. Now, the other thing is, that I think is worth noting is Native people have celebrated various Thanksgivings throughout the year. I'm, as a Haudenosaunee, as a Mohawk, um, we have, by... But by many accounts, 14 Thanksgivings throughout the year, uh, four of them are our main uh, festivals or ceremonies. And for us, the idea of giving thanks, and, and, and I don't even know that, that that's the right word, but that's the word that has, has been you know used. These celebrations are celebrations of us. They aren't giving thanks to, the, to God or the creator, and they, they're more about a social event and bringing our people together and and oftentimes you know, congratulating ourselves on you know on on the season whatever that season is for the harvest season usually it's about um celebrating the fact that we've had a bountiful harvest and that, and that kind of stuff and, that, and that's what people kind of associate with with the american thanksgiving although that's not where its origin comes from i mean it it, it doesn't come from there it, it is it's been an appropriation but our thank our Thanksgivings usually mark some part of nature's bounty, whether it's you know the maple or green corn or um, you know, the planting or or even midwinters, which isn't necessarily providing something, but it's but it's something one it's one of those those major ceremonies that we do strawberries, and of course harvest. I mean, it's, so the, and there's many of them, and they are celebrations that that we have. And the difference is what usually happens with, with Europeans at this, you know, during, you know, the period of time that we became familiar with the uh, Europeans, their idea of Thanksgivings were like prayerful things. They were, they were religious connotations. They, they often involved not feasting, but fasting. So it's this idea that, that there was some sort of union of, you know, good minds coming together for this first Thanksgiving. It's, it's just categorically false. Now, the problem that I have with this is that, with, with this American holiday, is that somehow, because of the, you know, the pilgrims and Mayflower stuff, um, Native people have been directly associated with, with the American Thanksgiving. And so we, our images get used. The little kids are cutting out little paper headdresses and, you know, all these cutesy little, you know, ornaments of happy little pilgrims and happy little Indians. And none of that in any way, shape, or form characterizes the truth of the relationship between the settler colonialism and, uh, and Native peoples. And so what, what started, you know, several you know, administrations ago, and I don't even know how far back. Somebody even told me it went back to Nixon, but I don't recall. Um, 
this idea of declaring November as National Native American Heritage Month, and then <laughs> the day after Thanksgiving, which is more commonly known as Black Friday, um, which is today, uh, as National Native American Heritage Day. Now, see, again, this is not unlike the problem that I have with the idea of sharing um, the 11th of, or the, I don't know, the first, the second Monday of October, whatever that day happens to fall on, um, making it Indigenous People's Day slash Columbus Day. I don't want to share a holiday. I mean, frankly, I don't even want a holiday. But I don't want a holiday that is somehow, or, or a month that, that, that is written up and, and proclaimed as our month, and then have it laced with all the things that we don't believe in, like the American Thanksgiving and, uh, and the myths associated with it. So I reject the idea, and, and I don't necessarily want to do a special broadcast on the American holiday Thanksgiving, even if I'm going to spend an hour or two explaining why I don't celebrate that notion and, and, and why I don't embrace it in that way. Look, there's, there's no problem with, with having family over for dinner and, um, you know, and whatever. People want to give thanks to whatever they feel like they want to give thanks to. I, I have no problem with that. But from a Native standpoint, we have a lot of issues that we are facing with both the United States and, and the Canadian government. And it's a little hard for us to, you know, to, okay, let's all pretend everything is just wonderful because it's not. And it hasn't been. It hasn't, it, in fact, it hasn't been almost since, <laughs> since European contact. But again, I'm not mourning the day. I'm like any other day, I'm using these days, I'm using my show to express what our viewpoint is on the various issues that we are resisting. That's why it's resistance radio. So, and, and, I, and I've, done day, I've done shows on, um, on the American Thanksgiving. And I, you know, I did a couple of music shows a few years ago. And, and they never sat well with me. And, and here's the other thing. In fact, I was just reading a, a, a post on Facebook about somebody who said, oh, they were interviewed for a broadcast to talk about the Native view on Thanksgiving. And so they give this long interview. And of course, none of it gets used. They, they cut it up into, into you know, just little sound bites. So even when we speak on the issue, oftentimes what we say about the holiday, what we say about the myth and, and the, the inappropriateness of how the, the holiday is characterized, you know, somebody's going to edit it and they're going to cut it down and, and they're still going to... Look, everybody loves Native people <laughs> when we're talking about you know, dancing, you know, or singing, or you know, talk about our spirituality, or or even you know, our the idea that we commune with nature and all this. Other, you know, everybody likes it, but when they don't like us so much when we tell some truth about history, they don't like us so much when we stop a pipeline, or a railroad, you know, a railroad crossing or a highway. No, when we stand up and resist, we aren't so popular. When we tell white people that you should not be using us for mascots, yeah, we don't become very popular in those communities anymore. And in fact, we, we once again become marginalized and dismissed and insulted. That's the way this happens. So I think it's, it's important that people understand, you know, understand this because 
we look, and when I say we, I'm not speaking for all Native people, mind you, and, and of course you know that. But the, I am a part of the, the spectrum where Native people are resisting. Where we're not just resisting uh, development and environmental degradation. We are resisting that, but not just that. We are constantly trying to stand up to fight for our autonomy, our distinction, our sovereignty, whatever the word is that, that, that clicks with you. That's what we're fighting for. We are resisting oppression. We are resisting subjugation. And we've been doing it for hundreds of years. So, you know, when, when I get asked to speak on Thanksgiving, and I know that, that everybody wants to hear some, you know, some, something that's going to make them feel good, I got nothing to offer. I got nothing. And, but, I, but I also don't feel like I want to spend that day you know, raining on somebody else's parade, literally. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't. I mean, I, I just, I don't want to be bothered on that day. You know, regardless of, you know, what anybody else is doing. I have a real problem with the idea of sharing a holiday, that, that somehow Native people are going to be associated with Columbus Day, you know, whether it's Columbus Day slash Indigenous Peoples Day, or whether it's, Thanksgiving and happy little pilgrims and happy little Indians, or the day after Thanksgiving, Black Friday, the you know the you know the most vulgar uh, you know day of the year as as far as capitalism goes, and and, and somehow Indigenous National Native American Heritage Day. But I'm not mourning. I'm acting. I'm acting out. I'm pushing back. And and while I'm not criticizing anybody for labeling that holiday a national day of mourning. There's plenty to mourn. You know, look, the, the news is, it's, is constant. There's a constant drumbeat of more bodies being, I, I, I don't want to say even discovered because we knew they were there, but, but, but it is being proven that Native children have been buried in these unmarked or mass graves uh, at these residential schools. So, yeah, I do have stuff to mourn. But even as I'm mourning the deaths of those children, which are really my, you know, the, the relatives of, uh, of my grandparents and my parents, even as I'm mourning them, or even as I'm trying to, to, to expose the harm that was not only done to those children who didn't survive residential schools, but the harm that was done to those who did survive it. And, I don't know, and, and the harm that was done to those of us who never went to a residential school, but have experienced the impacts of them, not through just through intergenerational trauma, but because of what the, the residential schools were for, which was to depopulate our, our peoples, our territories, take our lands, and diminish our distinction and our autonomy through forced assimilation and trying to make us into Canadians or Americans. So, you know, I don't, I don't want to do a special Thanksgiving, you know, a, a broadcast of resistance radio. I mean, I'm not saying I won't do a broadcast on that day. And, and, and I'm addressing this here because I, I, I want everybody, including, you know, the folks at WPFW to understand. I'm not trying to, to destroy uh, your American Thanksgiving. I just don't want to be associated with it. I will work to destroy the Columbus Day, 
but I also don't want to be associated with a day that bears his name. So, so that's kind of my, my, my thing with, with, with Thanksgiving. So what, you know, what is there to talk about today? Well, I'll tell you what's, what's, what there is to talk about. There, Canada is really um, on the brink of having a major pushback all across Native territories. Um, you know, I, I posted a meme that I uh, reposted a meme that I found that shows Justin Trudeau with his head in his hands saying, you know, oh, they're going to shut down Canada again. And he's talking about Native people. Why? Because we've done it before. And so what's, what's, the, what's driving this? Well, part of the whole thing is we continue to fight back against pipelines in various places. We continue to fight back against development on our lands or so close to our lands that, it, that it's bound to encroach. And in places like Wet'suwet'en in British Columbia, there have been violent attacks by the RCMP against the indigenous people who live there. Now, I guess to frame it a little bit, we aren't talking about Native people going someplace that is, is, that is a land that is not necessarily distinguished as our land. You know, we'll, we'll make the argument on whether the land is ours or not, but, but here we're talking about Native people from the community or the allies uh, of, of those people that are being arrested and violently assaulted. The RCMP comes in with snipers, with assault rifles. And not only have they arrested the, the land defenders there, but they've arrested the journalists. So the media is being arrested. So, so you can't even get a, a really good account on what is taking place there. And that should disturb everybody. I mean, look, Canada and the United States are quick to condemn you know, China and, you know, and, you know, Iran and so many of these other places that, that perhaps, you know, inhibit or in, in somehow interfere with, with, with free press. But nobody's saying a damn word about what the RCMP are doing to, uh, uh, to land defenders and the media um, in, in, in British Columbia. Now, the other thing I want to say about British Columbia, British Columbia has acknowledged that this land is the land of the Wet'suwet'en. It, it's their land. So when you talk about arresting people and you're removing indigenous people from their lands here, not just because we're not just, this isn't like land that, you know, um, a pipeline's going through that they're, that they're trying to stop. That's not necessarily, that's adjacent to their land. This is going through their lands. So, and, and I'm not trying to really make, you know, a strong distinction you know, too strong a distinction because I think there are many pipelines that we, we're trying to stop in various places that we can argue about land title and that kind of stuff. But this is clear. And BC, the courts, have acknowledged that, that the Wet'suwet'en hold title to the lands. The other thing about BC and Canada <laughs> is that they also have um, pledged commitments to, to have the UN Declaration of the Rights of Indigenous People incorporated in their law. So when we cite you know, something being a violation of the UN Declaration of the Rights of Indigenous Peoples in Canada, it's a little different than on the U.S. side, because the U.S. side you know, simply just rejects it. I mean, uh, and I would argue that Canada does too. They, they reject it in practice, but in 
words and in court rulings and legislatively, they claim that they're they're abiding and and they're they're bringing the UN Declaration, the, the UNDRIP as it's called, into into Canadian law. That it that it has been codified in their court systems. So, not only are the RCMP violating BC law, Canadian law, but even international law, international law that Canada claims to have embraced with the UN Declaration of the Rights of Indigenous Peoples. And, and it is, it, it's so absurd because you only have to look back a few weeks ago to, hear, to see Justin Trudeau, you know, feigning crocodile tears about uh, um, more bodies uh, being discovered or, or confirmed at some of these residential schools. Look, the Indigenous Affairs Minister flat out said that Canada needs to develop a program for returning um, lands that are unlawfully uh, occupied by, you know, especially by some of these pipelines and, and some of these uh, extractive industries. And yet they, they continue to do the same. So while Canada is, you know, Justin Trudeau, well, he, he goes out to, uh, to Rome and he asks the Pope to come to Canada to apologize to the indigenous peoples for the role the Catholic Church played in the sins that were perpetrated against indigenous people at residential schools. You got the nerve to go to Rome and ask that. I, look, and I don't, I don't, I don't care about the Pope. I mean, look, I think, I think the Pope's a joke. I think the Catholic Church is just incredibly evil. But the idea that he does this, you know, again, this photo op and, and tries to grab a few headlines by saying that, you know, that, that he's inviting the Pope to come there to apologize. Look, you want to apologize for something? Try re repudiating the, um, the doctrine of Christian discovery. Because that's what a lot of this stuff comes down to. The, the role that the Catholic Church played in paving the way for the U.S. and Canada and other, and other countries, mind you, to, to steal native lands, in lands of indigenous peoples. I mean, that, that's what we're fighting against. I mean, residential schools is just part of that program. And, and who the hell is Justin Trudeau to ask the Pope to apologize for, for something that Canada hired the Catholic Church to do? Yeah, hired. Let's just call it what it is. And it's not just the Catholic Church. Canada probably, or I think the Catholic Church represented probably 50% of the, uh, the schools on the Canadian side. Uh, you know, maybe a little less than 50% on the, uh, as far as which church or which denomination was, uh, was operating or running these residential schools. They were all funded by, by the federal governments of Canada and the United States or state governments or provincial governments or... And, and some, sometimes they were just the churches running them by themselves. So, I mean, the, the idea that this guy is, is pretending to care while he is completely ignoring, and, and well, I take it back. I, he's not ignoring what the RCMP are doing. He's responsible for it. And, and, and so, so what happens here? Well, what happens here is, is a smear campaign. And we, we know, because it was caught on tape at some of these training sessions of the RCMP, that, that they have hired people to do smear campaigns against Native people, to make us look as bad as possible. Never let Canada acknowledge that we're defending our lands and that we're defending 
you know, the, the planet, if you want to call it that, but, but, but pushing back against environ, environment, um, environmental degradation. No, don't do that. Instead, call us thugs, call us terrorists, call us, you know, any number of things. And we, and we saw this the last time Native people, with, with a strong emphasis on Mohawks, by the way, uh, when, they, when they shut down uh, uh, the Canadian uh, rail system. And, and they shut down highways. And it's heading that way again. Now, I say this, and I realize that this show is, is broadcasting in Washington, D.C., and of course, people are going to catch us on the podcast too. Um, this show does go on to a podcast uh, almost immediately after uh, after broadcast. By the way, um, but this isn't just isolated to Canada. You know, many we're fighting pipelines on the U.S. side as well, and we're fight we're facing the same kinds of um, aggression. Uh, you know, oftentimes not by the the federal police force. Um, on, on the U.S. side, not by the FBI necessarily, like the federal police force in Canada does. The RCMP is the Royal Canadian Mounted Police of Canada. It is a federal police uh, law enforcement agency. But we get relegated to private contractors that, are, that abuse Native people and, uh, and our allies. We get, uh, we get abused by, by county sheriffs, by state police, by, um, by any number of uh, of you know, basically white men with guns, and we experience the same kinds of things. Where where the uh, the media is uh, is 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 also oftentimes being assaulted. So whatever we're seeing on the Canadian side is not Canada in a vacuum. I mean, l l the residential schools was a was an American was a United States policy that Canada adopted. They learned it from the United States. And in fact, you know, many places in Australia, New Zealand, Africa, South America, they all modeled, arguably, um, the concentration camps, the, the internment camps um, that uh, Hitler devised for, uh, for, for, for Jews and, uh, and, you know, and, and others uh, were modeled after some of these, uh, these residential schools. So, I mean, it's, this is the United States baby that, that they, you know, that they brought to this world. This idea of committing genocide against the people by targeting children. So the United States does things and then other countries seem to, to, to follow it. And, and of course, Canada doesn't need um, the United States lead on abusing native people. They've been doing fine, you know, without taking direction from the United States. And so what we're seeing here with, with this violence on the Canadian side, and like I said, the, the meme posted where, where Justin Trudeau has got his head in his hand saying they're going to shut Canada. Yeah, it's going to happen. It's coming. And, you know, look, there's the pandemic issues. There's, you know, there's, um, uh, you know, backlog of supply chains and everything else. Well, you wait till the Canadian rail system gets shut down. When rail Canada gets shut down, and some of the highways get shut down, and of course, most of Canada's infrastructure runs right through through native territories. I mean, the, one of the one of the jokes is put out there: "Look, if you didn't want us to block the trains, then why'd you put the rail? Why why'd you run the railroad tracks through our territories?" You know, a few years ago, there was a guy by the name of Douglas Bland, 
and he was hired to do what they call these McDonald uh, Laurier re reports. And he wrote this whole um, assessment using one of the Ivy League's models for the likelihood of uh, of military or armed or whatever social unrest associated with insurgency and and it and it wasn't designed for for Canada but it was designed for some of these these trouble spots you know throughout the world where there where there is the real danger of of a, a violent insurgency so Douglas Bland used this Ivy League model and he plugged all of the information into it from uh, from Canada and the indigenous populations um, tensions that exist and you know and, and of course it included things like the vulnerability of infrastructure the 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 poverty and the adverse conditions that that indigenous people are living under um the you know the age the population age the average age the you know, again uh, uh, poverty the average income the all of the stressors that the native people live under and when using this ivy league model what he determined was that there was a real likelihood that Canada was going to face a major insurgency. Now, again, I say this because it's important to note that what we're seeing in Canada is not that different than what we see on the, on the U.S. side of that imaginary line. And many of us are the same people. It, it, many of my people are on either side of that, that line. So when I'm talking about Mohawks, we, we have sent people to, to British Columbia. And, and of course, uh, many uh, Native people from the other side of that imaginary line went to places like Standing Rock. That border is not our issue. And we don't really distinguish much from the oppression from Canada uh, and the oppression from the United States. We, and, and it's hard to really see one country or the other you know, acting better or behaving better I mean, look, we do know that Canada pushed for this Truth and Reconciliation Commission on the residential schools um, years ago, years ago. And the United States hasn't even begun. It hasn't even started to do something like this. You know, at this point, Deb Halland with the Interior Department is, is suggesting that um, they've begun fact-finding. Look, they've got lots of documentation in various places. And they have basically made it very difficult for an average researcher, a non-governmental researcher, to access that information. So Deb Howell says, oh, we're going we're gonna to do some fact-finding. That's, that's where the United States is as it relates to the, the tens of thousands of Native people who died at residential schools and the genocide that was conducted you know, by, by inflicting this, these kinds of harms against our children. That's where the United States is. Now, we could argue that the Canada is farther along. Well, let's not argue too strongly because it was a bit of a, of a debacle. I mean, there wasn't that much truth, and there sure as hell has not been even the beginning of what I would consider reconciliation. Many of you know that I've talked about the fact that I don't believe there can be any reconciliation without restoration of lands and autonomy. And that's just, you know, that's a position that, that I am really trying to drive in uh, a, a grassroots movement towards. Because I don't want a bunch of people trying to sell us out for a paycheck. And that's what Canada's trying to do. Oh, okay, we're, we're going to pay off uh, people who are harmed by residential schools. We're going we're gonna to cut them checks. Well, here's the problem with cutting checks. 
you're cutting checks from the resources you stole from our lands in the first place. So it's like you're paying us with our own money and we're supposed to be happy about it. So no, you know, Canada has this image of being this nice place, right? Oh, they got socialized medicine there. Yeah, well, native people still suffer uh, disproportionately uh, to, to bad healthcare on the Canadian side, bad water. You know, all these, all the things that, that anybody could complain about, Native people top the lists on the U.S. and the Canadian side. So, oh, yeah, Canada, it's so nice there. Those people are so nice. No, they're racist as hell. And you only have to, look, I, I did a, you know, I did a video a few, uh, maybe a year or so back uh, talking about how racist Canada was. And, you know, I talked about things like Oka, the Oka crisis, the Oka uh, Ganesadaga crisis, and just how much we've experienced. I'm mean, looking, uh, you know, white people are burning our effigies. The, the amount of abuse that Native people have with suit. Look, the, the fact that we even have this, this thing that we call missing and murdered Indigenous women is because of the racism. And this really get, earned its name and got its attention on the Canadian side first. And, of course, it's not isolated to, to the Canadian side. It, it's, it's, it's very prominent. I mean, the whole... Gabby, um, you know, story. Um, uh, the the pretty white girl who who was murdered by her boyfriend or fiance or whatever, um, and her remains found in Montana. I mean, this was a twenty four hour news cycle. But there's currently hundreds of indigenous women who are listed as missing in Montana today. Hundreds, not on the news cycle. In fact, none of them are in the news cycle. And the only time something does make the news cycle is when something really extreme, like when uh, Savannah Gray, uh, uh, Graywind had the, um, her baby cut out of her womb. And that, was, that wasn't even on territory. That was, that was in a city. And her body dumped, dumped in a lake. That made some news. So, yeah, Savannah, you know, Savannah made news. But for the most part, most people are completely unaware of the death by cop rates that exist on, for Native men and the, uh, and the missing and murdered Indigenous women uh, issue that is, that is really epidemic. And it ties right in. You know, there's a lot of conversation right now about human trafficking. Well, missing and murdered Indigenous women ties right into that because that's where some of our women are missing. They're missing as a part of some of this human trafficking that takes place. And there's a direct connection between that and these extractive industries. Why? Because of the man camps that get, get established. I mean, look, I remember years ago when I was a kid, there was a, a sitcom on, uh, on television. It was called Here Comes the Bride. It was about the man camps associated with the logging industry. And, of course, they, uh, they, they were going to do mail order brides. Well, that's not really the way it works. When you get all these men who are given a place to live away from their homes, mind you, they don't exactly behave well. In fact, they never have. You know, the, these missionaries that, you know, especially out in California, folks like Junipero Serra, one of the things that they claimed to be trying to address was the fact that the, um, the Spanish military was so abusive uh, because they were away from their homes, and they were so abusive, especially to, to indigenous women. 
Now, I'm not giving Hunaparacera any credit for, for, for solving the problem. If, if anything, he exacerbated it because of the amount of children that died at his hands. But this idea of, of men being away from their homes, away from their wives and their families, and then living someplace that is closer to what they regard as the wilderness allows them to behave in a way you know, that is, that's appalling. And, and, and part of the thing, you know, part of what allows them to get away with is that they're, that they're in remote areas where there aren't police forces, where there's nobody to hold them accountable for their behavior. Hey, as long as the trees keep falling, as long as the oil keeps flowing, that's all that matters. As long as the minerals keep coming out of the ground, that's all that matters. What they do with their so-called free time, how, you know, where, where, they're, where they're picking up young girls, nobody cares about that. It's all about production. It's all about the capitalist system of the U.S. and Canada and greasing those wheels with, 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 more, with more value, with more dollars. I mean, that's what the tar sands oil is all about. It's all about money. It's not really about energy. Canada doesn't need it for their own energy. The energy they're, they're selling it off to China. United States doesn't need tar sands oil for, uh, for its own energy. No, they're just providing the, the pipelines, <laughs> the network to help Canada get their, get their tar sands oil to market to China. And I'm not even picking on China. I mean, shame on the United States and Canada for prostituting our lands to, for, so oil companies can make money not creating energy independence. No, not even close to that. See, this is what people don't understand. So what I see right now is Canada reaching a tipping point. And when Canada reaches that tipping point, it will spill over on, you know, south of the border. It will spill over. And look, I've never seen, uh, you know, until Standing Rock, when, when we saw that level of, of you know, of participation. It hasn't happened very often on, on the U.S. side. You know, look, we, we, we've had, look, we've had issues. We, we've, you know, Alcatraz and, uh, and, and Wounded Knee and um, uh, Ganyange. I mean, there's been, there, there have been um, the taking of, uh, of the, the occupation of the BIA building in Washington. Look, it's, we've st stepped up, but we've seen a stronger stance taking on, taken on the, the Canadian side. But it's not going to stop there. We are in better communication with each other. Look, this, this social media stuff, even as they try to stop the media from covering it, we become our own media. And we are telling the story. And it's getting out there. We're connecting with each other. Look, we're not planning a raid on the Capitol <laughs> like, the, like the Proud Boys. But you know what? The amount of organization that's happening at the grassroots level. And look, and I'm not just talking about men here. Women are playing a huge part of this. As, as you know, my, my, my co-host, um, uh, Regan, has been joined, joining a bunch of other people, and, and many of them women, uh, in fighting Line 3 in Minnesota. Women are playing a major part in, in, and again, standing up at Wet'suwet'en territory. They're not doing it alone. Look, they've got support from, from uh, you know, other people, including 
the, the traditional chiefs and that kind of stuff. And look, there are band councils that oftentimes, um, and tribal councils, who are pushing for extractive industries, you know, whether it's Navajo coal or whether it's tar sands oil or, or whatever. I mean, some of the mining that, that tribes have looked at as a, as a means for generating needed uh, revenue. So we have Native people who are in favor of some of these things. But we have many Native people who are opposed to it. So, you know, what it comes down to is that we are not of one mind. We certainly have not provided consent, you know, the consent, free prior and informed consent, like the UN Declaration of the Rights of Indigenous Peoples calls for. No, not even close to that. We have not consented to the pipelines running through our, you know, the water that feeds our, our rice fields. We, we have not. We, we have not consented to the massive logging that has taken place on our, our territories, to the damming of rivers that go through our territories, to the, um, you know, again, the pipelines that, uh, you know, that have run through our territories, the mining that has taken place on our territories. Much of that mining, which utilizes clean water, but it doesn't, it doesn't remain clean. It doesn't remain clean. We, we've never consented to any of this stuff. And, and I say this often, this idea that somehow Native people have become subordinate to the laws of the United States and Canada, whether it's through their, their forced or, or attempting to force citizenship upon us, there's no legal foundation for it. There is no place that we have transferred our sovereignty to the United States or Canada. Even though, look, they, they try to get us to vote in their elections. Oh, see, see, they're, they're us. They're the same as us. They've, they took our children for over 100 years, you know, stripped away language and culture and um, intergenerational ties. So they could say, look, they're just like us. And then they pass laws like the Indian Act, which we're supposed to you know, take as you know, some sort of uh, special distinction, or the Indian Reorganization Act, where Canada and the United States will define who we are. We don't define ourselves. I mean, this ties right into the mascot issue where, where white people want to call themselves Indians or warriors or redskins or whatever else because they take the identity. Well, the government the governments of the U.S. and Canada and state governments, they want to define who we are. And they always define us as subordinate to them. Look, the reason the United States and Canada voted against the U.N. Declaration of the Rights of Indigenous Peoples when it, when it came before the General Assembly in 2007 is because they did not want Native people to assert sovereignty over their land. They had a problem with the fact that this document, this UN Declaration of the Rights of Indigenous Peoples, talked too much about self-determination. Canada and the United States says, wait a second here. The United States in particular said, we don't agree with the international definition of self-determination applying to our indigenous peoples. No, here, we only want to talk about internal self-determination. We'll let them make some decisions at the tribal level but we don't want them asserting sovereignty over the land. You know, and that's why we've had, for, for many years, 
I'm, I'm, I'm talking to you from Seneca territory. They, um, uh, through eminent domain, took up you know 10,000 acres of Seneca land so they could dam up the Allegheny River to protect Pittsburgh from flooding. They didn't have any authority to take our land through eminent do domain. It was an unlawful seizure. And it wasn't even a seizure because they didn't take the land. They just condemned the land to a floodplain. Now, it's still Seneca land, but it's essentially been designated as unusable because of, uh, because of the dam. It's not all underwater, but it, but it could be. So they bulldozed villages, homes, even churches and longhouses to make, make way for the dam. We, when, when the Seneca Nation had to give up this swath of land for the New York State Thruway to go through western New York, they knew what the federal government was capable of, and they were forced into a really, really terrible deal. I think I paid, they got paid like $70,000 for the New York State Thruway to cut through Seneca territory, an easement. It's still Seneca land. But there's a but there's a paid toll road that goes through that that they won't even acknowledge that, that our our right to travel that road without paying a toll. And many people do. Many people do travel and don't pay a toll, and you know and and this, this the battles continue. Look, we have a lot in front of us. I talk about a lot about uh, about a lot of issues here on the program, uh, you know. And I look, I've spent a lot of time talking about the mascot issue. And the reason I, I spend so much time with that is because it's, it's important, for one, but it's also one of the few battles that we're actually winning. I mean, we, we are getting schools and pro teams, the Washington football team and the Cleveland baseball team. We're getting them to drop their, the names. I mean, it doesn't solve the major problems, but it solves a problem. And it begins the process of us taking some control over our, our identities. But that's why... When I take this, this position on residential schools and this notion of truth and reconciliation, we can't reconcile if our identities have to remain the victims of a 100-year genocide perpetrated at these schools specifically. Genocide's been much longer than that. But the role that the schools have played in diminishing our autonomy and our distinction and our identity is something that we need to fight to have restored. So it's not enough to, to, to fight a school calling themselves the Indians. That's just, that's just one small part of our reclamation of our identity. The rest of it comes from rejecting subjugation, rejecting the forced citizenship, the indoctrination, standing up to the myths of, of holidays like Thanksgiving. It's all of it. And we do it piece by piece. We do it a little bit here and a little bit there. And, you know, and our hope is, as non-Native people, whether it's other people of color, whether, you know, whether it's white allies, that more and more become aware of what the true history is. You know, and... We know that we have very, we have quite a bit of common ground with other oppressed people, like you know, like uh, black folks. 
what was done to, to black people in terms of not just slavery, but Jim Crow and, and, and racism. We, we come on the heels of, a, of, a, of an acquittal of a guy who killed people at a Black Lives Matter uh, you know, protest. Complete acquittal. He crossed the state lines with an with a assault rifle as a 17-year-old and ends up killing two and shooting a third. And, and, and he gets to claim that he was, you know, he shot them in self-defense. And we also come, come at this from a week where, where three white men were found guilty and convicted of murdering a black man jogging through an area that they didn't think he, he should have been jogging through. They just killed him because he was black. This is where we're at. And that same thing, the, the, the same kind of abuse that, that, that black people experience, Native people experience the same thing. For us, it gets quieted. It gets silenced. It is not known because we live in much more rural areas. We don't live in a, uh, in a suburb of a city for the most part. Much of the, uh, the oppression and the violence and, and the abuse that our people experience happens, you know, it, it's like in, they say, in space, nobody can hear you scream. The remoteness of our territory and the remoteness of of any or the lack of any accountability, whether it's police. And look, many of us feel more threatened by police than we do by, by any, I mean, certainly when people talk about, you know, the threats of, you know, terrorists, I'm not worried about terrorism, but I'm worried about police and I'm worried about white supremacists. And this is, this is the challenge. This is what we are standing up to. So on this day, the day after the American holiday of Thanksgiving, where everybody's giving thanks, I got to tell you, there are some people who are glad those three uh, white men got convicted of murdering uh, Ahmaud Arbery because two bad outcomes in the same week would, uh, Canada's worried about, uh, you know, about being shut down by, uh, by indigenous people. Well, I'll tell you what, United States, you are heading in a really, really bad direction as it relates to social unrest. And your problem isn't just with Black Lives Matter protesters, because we're with them. Indigenous people, Native people, we're, we're with them. We know that there's some shared experiences. We know that there's some shared uh, oppression. Look, <laughs> when Confederate statues were being toppled, Columbus statues came down too. The Washington football team, it changed its name, dropped its name with pressure coming out of some of this social reckoning because of Black Lives Matter after the, uh, the murder of Breonna Taylor and George Floyd. Same with the, the, the Cleveland baseball team. We know there's a connection between the fight for Black Lives Matter and the fight for I don't know more or, or, or whatever the slogan's going to be. Land back. Restoration of land and autonomy. We know there's a connection. And who knows where our relationship ends up going with, as, as we, we stand side by side with other, other oppressed people. So I hope I cleared up some, um, you know, some of my concern about even trying to acknowledge or, or being drawn into a special program for the American Thanksgiving. 
I'll talk about it, but I don't want to celebrate it, and I don't want my conversation to be a part of um, of, of that holiday necessarily. So I'll put that to rest here. I want to thank um, thank you for for joining me for this program. Um, I know this is a tough time. I mean, the the pandemic you know continues. It doesn't stop um, you know pipeline. Uh, development through native territories it doesn't get, keep these people you know uh, you know out of our out of our territories but we are going we're, we're experiencing you know a, a a big push you know an increase in the amount of um uh cases that are showing up and you know people are going to do what they do on on these american holidays these you know these christian holidays it's going to be um pretty challenging to see what transpires over the next month between American Thanksgiving, uh, between, you know, the Christmas holidays, the New Year's holidays, uh, people going indoors at a time when there's the, the political fight over things like voting rights, over critical race theory, over masking children, over vaccinations, over, over, over the mascot issue. I mean, it's amazing how the line is drawn politically on, on so many of these issues. But this is why, you know, every, you know, look, a murder trial becomes the national event that it is. We're going to see. We're going to see how things shake out. Um, I don't think that, that anybody's heard the last of, uh, you know, of Black Lives Matter protesters out of Kenosha. And we'll, we'll see how this plays out. But I want to thank you for listening. I want to thank you for, uh, for giving me your time. Um, do enjoy your holiday. But just remember, as you're giving thanks, acknowledge that there are many of us who are fighting every day, resisting. I'm John Kane for Resistance Radio. Yahweh.